we get into the few thoughts before our invitation, I want to say thank you to the guys who work so tirelessly in the uh, AV room upstairs. It's not an easy job. They make it look easy. Um, they are always trying to find ways to make it better. And just a couple of months ago, you may notice a difference that a song leader can say on the spot, this is what song I want led and this is what verses I want led. And they've uh, incorporated that program so that we can uh, have some dynamic or fluidity to things if we want to change a song. Uh, but there got to be folks who are operating that, uh, men who give themselves and their time. And uh, please tell guys like John and Randy and, and Derek and Bradley and others, how much we appreciate their their work of service. Uh, it's got to be a challenge to engage in worship and lead us in that way, but they do such a great job. I don't remember what I put on the bulletin. I, I was going to put a sermon about Hiram and then just see if you could figure it out. In fact, we had that conversation in the vehicle coming to church services to understand exactly what we were talking about. You know, there are all kind of heroes in the Old Testament, individuals that come to our mind that we think of, and the Bible is brimming with these individuals who readily are identified as heroes to us. And we're talking about folks like uh, Noah and Abraham and Moses and David. But you know, there's such a supporting cast of characters that fill the Bible that can teach us so much, even if there's not as much said about them. You know, when our boys were littler, there was a movie that Disney put out called Sky High. I don't know if any of you remember that or not, but it was about all these kids with these superpowers who went to high school and they had to learn how to hone their skills and also how to get along with other people. One of the dimensions of that movie was that they had in their midst, in the classrooms, those that were sidekicks. Sometimes the Bible mentions Old Testament superlatives. There's the oldest man, Methuselah. There's the strongest man, Samson, and there's the wisest man, Solomon. There are a great many that we would say are heroes. And if you were to refer to Solomon as a superpower or a hero, you might say that Hiram was his heroic sidekick. And yet I think we could say that Hiram was a hero in his own rights. As we study about him and learn from him, we see that he's involved in a project that is huge, there are 51 verses that are devoted to two major projects in the life of the entire Israelite nation. And Hiram, the son of Tyre, uh, the Hiram of Tyre, was one who was involved centrally in that. You'll notice that there's an exquisite, expensive materials that are brought for the work. And a lot of that comes from up in Lebanon in the area where Hiram comes from. And there seems to be two characters, perhaps in the same family, if you go over to Second Chronicles, that bear the name Hiram. He is called Huram Abi in Second Chronicles 2 and verse 13. He's a man of wisdom and in great understanding. But if the writer in First Kings chapter 7, in the listing of the activities that goes on, makes Solomon his central character, the person that he focuses on the most besides him is Hiram. I think that there are three things that we can learn from Hiram of Tyre in 1 Kings chapter 7 that ought to be true and characteristic of us. First of all, if you look in 1 Kings chapter 7, you will see that Hiram was connected to the people of God. Whether you're looking in 2 Chronicles chapter 2 or in 1 Kings chapter 7, you see that his mother is a widow of Naphtali. 
We see that his father is a Tyrian man or a man of Tyre. There are some who would say perhaps that this man, his father, was of the tribe of Asher, being north of the Mediterranean Sea in the same area as Naphtali. But whether he was, uh, as we might say, a half-breed or was full-blooded Israelite, we see that he was connected to the cause of God's people. There was a relationship that existed. It was one that was forged first by Solomon's father, David. And with this pre-existing friendship, Solomon was able to leverage this good man that's described for us in 1 Kings chapter 7, verse 13 and 14. You know, when we think about what we leave here to do for the rest of this week, we're going out to fulfill our mission We talk about the vision statement of the Lehman Avenue congregation, but our mission is laid out for us in the first three Gospels, at the end of those Gospels, that we're to take the Gospel into all the world. And as we do that, what does it look like practically? We're trying to leverage the relationships that we have. Our friends, our co-workers, our community contacts, our schoolmates, And through this, we can help those who may be somewhat connected to us ultimately be connected to God's people. How can we use those relationships to benefit the cause of Christ? A second thing that I think that we can learn from him is that he was a will, he was the right man for the job. Hiram was the right man for the job. You see how he was described just a moment ago in 1 Kings chapter 7 and verse 14? He was a man of skill. He was a man of understanding, and he was a man who had this great wisdom. As you see him described in that way, it tells me something about God. Isn't it interesting that God always sends to send the right people to the right place at the right time? This relationship that had been developed a generation before with Hiram was one that now could be used to accomplish one of the great feats of the Old Testament. So you have a man who comes into the orbit of the Israelite people and now when Solomon needs help and he needs somebody who can fulfill this great task, he leans on this right man at the right time, Hiram. You know, when we think about this, isn't God a God who works that way? He didn't just work that way in Bible times. Do we think that God works that way today? In 1997, when I was preaching in Virginia, we had the need to build an education annex onto the building. And it just so happened that at that time, through the evangelistic efforts of members of the congregation, we were able to baptize a master electrician and an HVAC specialist just when they seemed to be needed. In 2007, we were going through a strategic plan at the Bear Valley congregation where I was preaching. And it just so happened about that time, a man began to visit our assemblies. A man from a religious background, not a member of the Lord's body, with whom a study was done. And he obeyed the gospel. He was the former CEO of Western Union, and it was right in the wheelhouse of what he did. I believe that as we grow and as we reach out and we fulfill the mission, God will send us the right men and the right women at the right time who can then fulfill the work that we need to be doing even better. Do you believe in providence? Is it providence or is it coincidence? If we don't believe in providence, maybe we need to look at Scripture more carefully. I haven't even mentioned the great examples of providence that we find in the Bible. Do you consider Hiram to be a great example of providence? It seems to me just one of several examples of God sending the right people when they're needed as we do His work. 
I think if we're a people that are not involved and not invested and don't care about reaching out into our community, then we're not going to be making those contacts that bring along those people that can help further the cause of Christ. But if we are, then God will send those people to us and will send us those opportunities. But the third thing that I think is important to notice is that Hiram was a willing worker. You know, it doesn't matter how qualified he was, how talented he was. If he did not roll up his sleeves and get to work, then it doesn't matter at all. If you examine, uh, Solomon had just built his palace, and a palace for Pharaoh's daughter. And this house that he had built that had uh, several pillars in it, and that needed all kinds of materials. It took 13 years to build. But what about the building of the temple? If we do our math right, as we look at 1 Kings 7 and 2 Chronicles 2 through 7, it seems that it took seven years to complete the temple project. Here's Hiram, a man who didn't live close to Jerusalem, who comes down and he stays on that project. A lot of you are involved in construction. Can you imagine going away from your home for almost a decade in order to do something? But Hiram understood that this was important work. This was the work for God's people. You know, when all is said and done, we understand that our Lord is not going to say, well said. As he said to the five talent and the two talent man in Matthew 25, 21 and 23, he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. There's one other thing that's remarkable to me as we close, and that's going to Second Chronicles chapter 4, verse 11 through 16. It tells us that Hiram not only did this work for Solomon, it says that he did it for the house of the Lord. It appears that Hiram understood the bigger picture. He realized that this was not just something for a king. Yes, I know, he got 20 cities as the result of his working for him. Cities that he didn't necessarily like at first. But we understand that he was working for something bigger. And I don't think that Hiram understood just how big that work was. Do you think that he understood just how great a ministry he was providing? Because when Hiram completed the building of the temple... Consider what that meant. That meant that the people of God could have a place where they could worship God according to his pattern for centuries to come. He facilitated literally millions of people's obedience to God through the work that he did for the house of the Lord. What about your talents, your time, and your treasure? What can God do through you that you might not even foresee? How many people will ultimately be in heaven because of the work that Hiram did in completing the temple for Solomon? And how many people will be in heaven as we use what God has put into our hands according to his word for his glory? I think about the woman in Mark chapter 14 and verse 8. The woman who came and she brought the expensive vial of perfume to anoint Jesus' body. What did Jesus say about her? He says, she did what she could. She has prepared my body beforehand for burial. But I tell you that everywhere this woman is mentioned in the gospel story, this will be said about her. Mark 14, verse 8 and 9. And I fulfill that a little bit tonight because I mentioned that woman in Mark 14, 8 and 9. So where the gospel goes, this woman is mentioned in what she's done. A very simple task. She anointed a man who was now being much despised, but a man who would go on to save the world. It's not dramatic to say that God wants us to connect people to his people. And God considers you and he considers me to be the right men and the right women and the right boys and the right girls for what he wants done. But he needs us to be willing. 
And will you consider that as you are willing, God will do far more than you can imagine with the things that you do for Him. That begins with your being a part of His cause. It may be that we have someone here tonight who's been waiting and is anxious to do that but has not yet made that decision. Jeremy's going to lead that song, What Can Wash Away My Sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Have you had the blood of His Son applied to your sins? That's what's going to matter when you stand before Him. Not how good you are, but does the blood of Christ cover your sins? If you've not yet been baptized to have that happen, we want to help you to do that tonight. If you're a child of God that needs us to call upon the Father on your behalf, it's a work we are anxious to do on your behalf. If we can encourage you and help you in any way, and you need to publicly respond, won't you do so right now as we stand and sing?